Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is February 21st of 2013, and tonight our guest is Laura Tompkins, who is a trained addictions counselor and who has many interesting things to share with us. She wrote a Huffington Post piece about negativity in Alcoholics Anonymous, which has drawn a lot of attention. Uh, before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. I just wanted to tell everyone we have brand new hardware, brand new modem, brand new laptops, though. Technical difficulties will be at a minimum compared to the last couple of shows, which uh, are okay. They're good anyway, but we had a little uh, distortion of my voice on that last one. Um, Our guest is Laura Thompson. She's she's here with us uh, right here tonight. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing fine. So did your voice sound like Daffy Duck or something? What was the problem? Well... It would slow down periodically. I would get a little <laughs> garble, and then it would go back to normal, and then garble. It's it's actually one of our best shows. It was with Stephen Slate from St. Jude Retreat House, which is a non, yeah, non-12-step. So mm-hmm. uh, people love the show. Nobody complained that my voice was a little weird, a little distorted by the machinery. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you find out that your voice had been – you could hear it as as you were ha- – Doing the interview oh, or what? It sounded oh. fine to me while I was doing the interview. I listened to the playback. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> what a not... drag. Well, I hope that doesn't happen tonight because I have important things to say. Well, don't worry. It was only my voice that was distorted. Okay. <laughs> okay, never mind then. Um, but No, everything should be good now because uh, my modem was slow and my computer was slow. Okay. So. Okay. So when we were talking before, though, you asked, I was asking you, and I, you wanted to wait until we got on, like what you got, what got you into this mess? Because for me, it's been really recently, and I say this mess, this what is the truth about the addiction recovery industry and the 12 steps? And to be exposed to all of this, I, I was telling, to whoever's listening, I was telling him that it's been a short period of time, it hasn't even been a year, that I've realized the truth, because when I went to Hazleton Grad School, I was in. I was in the program. I was, like, all on board. I was, you know, this is the way to heaven, people. If only everyone could work the steps around something. And, you know, I, 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 was, I was all in it. And then when I wrote that article for the Huffington Post, which they asked me to write, by the way, when the um, – because I started having all these problems because my clients were just, you know, continually binging. And so I was – doing all this research and I was going through this whole process, but what really sealed it for me of how sick people can get because of these steps, not everyone, but that the majority of people can get because it's so negative. And when the comments started coming in, I realized it more and more because people were just so angry. And it's like, wait a second, aren't your promises supposed to be that you're going to be happy, joyous, and free, and you're going to know a new freedom, and you'll be able to handle things that used to baffle you like a champ, and everything is going to get better in your life as long as you stay here and you do this. And then it doesn't ever happen, but you've been faking it because that's what they told you to do. You've been faking it and never making it. Because that's what they told you to do, and you think that you have a disease and you will do anything that anybody says, especially a group like that, that's based on this negative labeling, in order to get better. And so, you know, for me, it's, I'm, I'm nervous because I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, these people are so, they're so mean um, when you try to have a conversation about this that it's, you know, it's taken me a while to where um, – I haven't really taken it personally. And the reason why I was asking you um, how you got into this mess is because it seems like the people who have been doing it longer, like Stanton and um, Tom Horvath and all those guys who have been doing it longer, 
they seem to be a lot more relaxed about it than I am because I think, you know, you learn how to um, sort of fend off the anger that gets thrown at you when you just try to discuss something about the program. I can't tell you how many friends I've lost and how many parties I've gone to where, you know, people ask me what I'm working on and I tell them and people just go insane. I don't even talk about it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sorry for talking so much, but um, I'm really happy to be on the show and I hope that when people, you know, the people listen who are sort of on the fence or who are judging their loved one, um, you know, why can't he just work steps and get better? Why can't he just, you know, go to those meetings, go to those meetings? Well, your loved one might be onto something, and they need something more and something much better than those, those steps that will tell you that for the rest of your life you're sick, and it's not a disease. Well, I'm going to answer some of your questions um, <laughs> <Okay, good. laughs> since you posed a few of them there. Uh, but first, it is a it is a highly emotionally charged mm-hmm. topic, and especially uh, if your break from AA or twelve step programs is fresh, it's uh, it's a lot mm-hmm. more emotionally charged. If you've uh, yeah. been away much longer um you've learned to deal with a lot of things and i'm going to get into that more later but i'm going to start with um uh people people who are members of 12-step programs if you start questioning the program they feel that their life is threatened mm-hmm. yeah and that is it, ab- thank thank you for saying it that way and it goes back to the to the first uh Three steps, basically. The first uh, step is to admit that you are powerless. There is nothing that you can do, nothing you can learn, nothing absolutely. You are zero, nothing yeah. next to your addiction, which will kill you absolutely. Absolutely. That's what you are taught. Although the scientific evidence says most people overcome addictions on their own without yes, any do. 12 steps. Right. But that's not what you're taught in 12-step treatment or AA. You're taught that mm-hmm. you have this deadly disease that will kill you, and you're totally powerless, and you have to be rescued by God or a mm-hmm. higher power. Or a doorknob. But pretty quickly, pretty soon you get told AA is your higher power. AA is the God that's going to cure your disease. Yeah, yeah. And so you believe that, you know, this is saving your life. Mm-hmm. So if you start looking at the scientific evidence, people that quit on their – people that do nothing have about the same recovery rate as people that quit through AA. Right. And But, but I would go further, though. I really would, Ken, because I believe that they have the same amount of time, maybe, perhaps. You know what I mean? But – that the people who are not in AA don't define themselves by that time. Well, exactly. That's why uh, people who are not in AA don't want to talk about the past. They don't want to talk about, I was an addict and all this. this all, that, right. all that crap is behind <laughs> them. They don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And, I mean, it's, and it's so boring. It's like, you know, if you define yourself by that way, and that is the best thing you've ever done in your life, you're not likely to do something that else that you should be doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> something else besides belonging to this this little cult. Yes, I said it. Cult. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in, in in the Evangelical Free Church of America, which is wow. totally extreme creationist. And to me, you know, I walk into AA and it's like. Oh my God! This is what I grew up with. This is what I escaped. This is the insanity. Uh, it's all the same thing. On the oh, other hand, wow. it's amazing uh, that you're still alive. <laughs> I'm sorry, I ne- but that, that strikes me as funny. I really, I nearly died of alcohol withdrawal while I was yeah. going to AA. While I was yeah. going to AA, not before I went. Yeah. After I started going. Because they kept telling me uh, I was powerless and alcohol was powerful. I was mm-hmm. powerless. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was powerful. They had <laughs> this God that would cure my disease. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. God doesn't cure diseases. Right. When, you have, when you have cancer, you don't get cured by surrendering to God. Well, could you, you go, imagine? You go to could a you, doctor. I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> but could you imagine if a doctor told you and you're like, okay, I have cancer. Now what's the treatment? Well, you've got to get a higher power. 
and you've got to go to meetings, and you've got to call yourself by negative labels for the rest of your life. <laughs> yes, really? I am. I am cancerous. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't say I am can. You don't say I am cancer. You say I have cancer or I had cancer. Yeah. It's, it's like either you presently have it or you you're done. But no, you're alcoholic forever. <laughs> yeah. So. Now the other thing that has uh, been my experience. Uh, since I mean I was not in a very long because I was going to die if I stayed there. So I yeah, left yeah, yeah. Quick. Yeah, that's oh, that's what I was going to say. You call it ricochets in your book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I call it, Marlot. It's, it's the abstinence. It's A V E abstinence, abstinence aversion violation. Violation, abstinence. violation. Of course, it's violation. I I always just know it by A V E. And so, what happens and what you were talking about about how sick you were while you're in AA, it actually promotes binge drinking. And this is how. Because, like you wrote, you call it a ricochet, right? Okay, you go and you have a drink and you've promised yourself that, you know, you're going to be abstinent. And in AA, they'll tell you that one that with one drink, you are defined by your time. And it's a slippery slope. You're not going to be able to stop. One drink makes one drunk. All that stuff that they tell you. And it's sort of like a dieter who, you know, um, has a cookie, and they told themselves they're not going to eat cookies, and then they figure, well, you know, since I've blown it now, because in AA you're, you're, I mean, you not only have to start over again, but you have to go in with your tail between your legs saying that, you know, that you don't belong, you know, that you're not as good as they are. And so somebody has a drink, and they figure, well, I might as well just go for it. As the dieter says, I might as well just eat the whole bag of cookies now that I've had one. And it so in that way it 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 psychologically promotes binge drinking because you're like well you know I've messed up I might as well just go for it now and you beat yourself up but you can also learn how to say wait a second all right forgive yourself and get back on track without having to harm yourself right is that the same thing that you call ricochets in your book yes, yes. okay okay. And so, of course, of course, that's what you were doing, right? I mean, you know that. When, when, I mean, you know that. But like, I'm, I'm wondering if listeners know that. You know that. Well, that's... for me, it was really my subconscious was was my subconscious yeah. is very logical. Yeah. So when my subconscious internalizes that I am powerless and alcohol is powerful, and my subconscious doesn't believe in God, mm-hmm. it's gonna, it's gonna act like alcohol is more powerful than me. And I mm-hmm. had to completely... Yeah, wow. I had to fight that belief consciously until it was gone from my subconscious to get better. Because, mm-hmm. you know, AA had really beaten that into my subconscious. Because, you know, what Bill, what Bill Wilson was about was about getting people to believe in God. He didn't really care about their drinking very much. Well, and also, though, Ken, isn't it that he wanted people to believe in him as their God? Um, yeah, really. I think he was very egotistical uh, in the extreme. But, uh, yeah, he was the guy that discovered God. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah I mean, who could say, say uh, G-O-D stands for group of drunks? A-A is God. <laughs> I mean, and he created A-A. So he yeah. created God. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just swindlers. <laughs> now, the other thing I want to say, which is uh, really important, and this is part of my many years of experience. I haven't been to an AA meeting in well over ten years, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of my colleagues are members of twelve-step programs. Mm. I work in harm reduction. And a lot of people I work side by side with giving out clean needles mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. they are members of Narcotics Anonymous or mm-hmm. they go to Alcoholics Anonymous oh, too. Yeah. And, you know, which what I found is that there's a 10% or less of hardcore AA crazy people that are in AA. About, you know, 90% are more relaxed about it. Oh, um, yeah. They give it lip service while they're there at the meetings. 
um, there's, a, there's a lot of study that was going on lately that uh, a large contingent of people go to AA, get abstinent, cut down their meeting attendance, and stop. And they stay abstinent and never go back. This is right. a very large number. So it's only a small number, maybe 10% or less, that are the real, the psycho, crazy AA fundamentalists who they love to hang out online and post everything everywhere and just you know like go like hornets. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the majority of people there. And you know, you know, many of the people I work with in harm reduction programs. I'm also working besides doing hams. I'm working for Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center now, which is Needle Exchange. And you know, the people I work with are very. They're very sane, you know. They say, mm-hmm. you know, we leave the twelve steps at the door when we're doing mm-hmm. this because we have to meet people where we're at. If we right. start telling them what they ought to do, right, they'll just walk away and they won't even they won't even get clean needles. They'd mm-hmm. rather share needles than be told yeah. what to do. Well, we right, right. <laughs> totally right. accept, you know, that this is how harm reduction works. Wow. Wow. That's it's very interesting. I mean, I it, it's funny because for me um, right now, anyway, um, in this process, anyway, is that there's a lot of people who they I, and and I've you know like a couple of people in um, a yoga class that I take actually, and um, you know I haven't been working on this like I said for as long as you have. It's it's interesting because right now the majority of them seem really angry to me. Now I'm I there's no study that's been done, and then my you know the only thing that I have to go on is that I like these people don't talk to me like a couple colleagues they won't talk to me anymore, um, and this is why because I'm starting to question um, that they they at first. They got really angry. It's like, well, you do have an alternative. And then I sent them, you know, (laughs) the email with all of the alternatives. And then it slowly started happening where I realized that they couldn't even hear what I had to say. And I goad people on Facebook um, in order to see their reaction. So I, I like, push people's buttons on on Facebook sometimes. I, I have to say that I do that. Because it's so interesting to see, for me, how long it takes people to go, you know what, I'm sick and tired of you talking about, you know, this program like this, for them to sort of um, get to the point. I'm glad, I'm happy to hear you say that not that most of the people in AA don't go crazy when you talk about it. But for me, it's new, and so I talk about it because I find it really exciting, you know, that people can have alternatives and individual treatment instead of everyone being treated the same. And so I don't, I have a hard time. I have, I know some really nice people who are in AA, and they're not, you know, freaking out or anything about what I'm saying. But the majority, to me, seem to be freaking out. And like I said, it's no study. But that's what I'm experiencing just, you know, in my personal life right now. And the ones who don't get angry about it, it's like, I guess I just don't understand why they go, why they still go. You know, it's the people that have the rigid and very fanatical beliefs. First of all, they're they're 10% of the group and they do 90% of the talking. (laughs) That's true. That's so true. The more middle-of-the-road people are, like, more (laughs) hanging back and, you know... So they don't get involved in that crazy stuff. They right. say, you know, okay, this gives me a place to go. Instead of go to the bar, I can go to the AA group, and I don't get tonight. And I won't take these crazies too seriously. And, you know, they, and then they outgrow it, and they stop drinking, and they stop going to AA too. And Yeah, yeah. But I, it's, think, it's, I think eventually people do, most people do. I mean, I don't know. Do you know of a study that, that has done it, done on that? Sorry. Um, um, a study that's been done on that. You know what I mean? Uh, Leanne Kaskitas was on the show uh, several months ago, and she was talking about these numbers. Okay. And she was saying, uh, I think about, a, she was dividing it into thirds and saying, uh, like, one-third are pretty, stick with it, one-third mm-hmm. get better and mm-hmm. uh, stop going to AA, and another mm-hmm. third, you know, struggle. And that was seemed to be her impression. She's a... She's a researcher, so okay. she's done a lot of good research studies. So that's, that's what she does. Well, I'll have to look her up. I don't know. What's the name again? 
Kaskutas, K-A-S-K-U-T-A-S. Uh, we have a transcript of the show on the site, actually. That's the only one I transcripted so far, but uh, and you can listen to it too. But uh, she was pretty interesting, and she's uh, she's kind of sympathetic to AA, but uh, mm-hmm. sympathetic to non-twelve-step stuff too. Mm-hmm. Takes a more objective research, researcher point of view. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, like Anne Fleming. Have you read that book yet? Anne Fletcher. And is, is it Fletcher? Fletcher. I'm sorry. It's Fletcher. The, the um, yeah. Inside Rehab? Yeah, I'm in the middle of the book right now. Yeah. Uh, we we had Anne on the show also mm-hmm. about a year ago. See, this is a good networking device. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Why do you uh, think I called? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she wrote a book uh, about 10 years ago or so called Sober for Good, mm-hmm. which compared people's experiences in AA with uh, moderation management, smart recovery, SOS. I mean, she let everybody tell their success stories in the mm-hmm. different programs that they went mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And that's an it's a nice book and it said that there's many different ways to do this and it wasn't right. you know right. pit, pitting the different approaches against each other but saying right. these are success right. stories from each different point of view. Mm-hmm. Um and she was going to do something kind of similar when she started writing inside rehab mm-hmm. except uh she got hit over the head with cold hard reality that uh, a lot of this stuff is crap and it's like, you know, it's voodoo. <laughs> Wow, that is so AA-ish. I mean, it's so it's such voodoo. Yeah, like, it is. <laughs> and, and it's like your your treatment didn't work because the witch doctor didn't cut the, cut enough heads off enough chickens. <laughs> so next time, give him forty thousand dollars, and he'll cut off twice as many heads of chickens. It is like the hurt. ultimate scam, isn't it? It is it's totally. Like... Yeah, most <laughs> most just... of the rehabs are. I know. I know. Well, you know, going to school at Hazelden, you know, you are working on the units. This is a funny thing. A student at Hazelden, you pay an unbelievable amount of money to go to their grad school to become an addiction counselor. And you are working on the units every single day. Your classes are in the evening. And they're throwing patients at you before you are ready to have them. They just want, they are getting people through there like a slaughterhouse gets cows. I mean, it's like, wow. I recently, <laughs> I I sometimes try to get in touch with those people and ask them questions because right after grad school, the neurobiology teacher, Marvin Seppala, um, he's a wonderful person. He's, a, you know, one of those people that you're talking about that's that's in that's in AA and, and you know, they, they're just cool about it. They don't really care that much what other people think. Right, he's one of those guys, and he's a brilliant guy. He's the neurobiology teacher. He opened a business in Portland, Oregon. Right after grad school, I ended up working there, and it was totally twelve-step based. But they were using buprenorphine on opiate addicts, so it was fascinating, and it was interesting, you know, that this guy from Hazelden, his family lives in Oregon, so he was going to try this business. Um, this guy at Hazelden would, you know, would do this, would go to Portland, Oregon, and do this. So I have a lot of respect for Marvin, and I think. His being back at Hazelden is a financial decision um, because he has a family. And, um, you know, he was used to a certain lifestyle when he was at Hazelden. But he gave this business a good shot in Oregon, and it's a long story. But anyway, he's back there. And, you know, I try to get in touch with these people once in a while, and they just won't even have this conversation with me, you know. And, I mean, we actually mm-hmm. work together outside of school me and Dr. Seppala. So it's frustrating. And there was this thing recently, I had no idea about this. There was this thing recently on the orange papers that, and there was, it, was, it had research on it um, about, how, about what people made last year in Hazelden. And according to this, Dr. Seppala made over $460,000 last year working as the medical supervisor of Hazelden. So, you know, they're, they're getting people in and out of there. And I remember this one lady, um, she was there when I was at school, because you're working there, right? Like you're, you're free labor, and then you're taking classes in the evening. Um, she had been there 16 times, you know? And there's a lot of stories like that where people have been to rehabs. Like you say, what is it? Like the, the average is $18,000 a month. That's, not, mm-hmm. that's the average that people are paying. There is an unbelievable amount of money involved in this thing. 
there is a huge amount of money and uh Getting back to Ann Fletcher's book, um, yeah. she quotes these studies that have been, I mean, they've been around for quite a while now, 10 years mm-hmm. or more, uh, comparing outpatient treatment with the residential rehab. And mm-hmm. is is yeah. the residential rehab more effective? No. Mm-mm. Right. That's in, that's, that's in her book. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. And those studies have been out for a long time now, and mm-hmm. we've known this. Uh, well, actually, that's why the insurance companies have uh, really throttled back a lot on what they're going to pay for in rehab because mm-hmm. they saw the studies, and it's like you can do this for like you know one sixth the price and get the same effect. Right? Uh, why are we going to pay for something that's cost six times as much and it's no more right. effective? Well, and also, I mean, the other argument is no, the inpatient is not more effective. But the other argument, you know, I can. <sighs> I can kind of see the insurance company's <laughs> point there. I mean, they yes, they're greedy and they're horrible, and our, our insurance, uh, it, it's, it's a mess. I mean, it's just everything is so expensive. You know, they, they're, they're so into money that it's just wrong. But if also if someone knew, like, what danger, you know, psychological danger, just, just, just to keep somebody sort of stuck in their life, just kind of their biggest accomplishment is going to the rooms, um, but just those, just those things. I mean, and that's a big effect that a group would have on someone. <laughs> but I mean, even those things, um, you know, besides dying, um, that they they even take credit for dying. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, <laughs> that. They're that if they knew that if the insurance company people, you know, they knew that something like that was going on. It, it's it's dubious medicine at best. I mean, this thing with Dr. Drew and this latest suicide. Do you know about this? No, no, I don't ever watch the news. I don't have a TV. TV is addictive. I gave it up like in 1980. <laughs> I, I didn't go to a 12-step program for television. I, just, I know, uh, no, I, I totally hear you, and, and I wish that I had that kind of um, discipline. But I got. I, I think it's like interesting to keep in to sort of like put keep your pulse on what's going on. I mean, it, it, television is painful. Um, except for all the good stuff now is on cable, by the way, and there's a lot of good stuff. But you've heard about the Celebrity Rehab Show, right? I know about Dr. Drew. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Of course you know about Dr. Drew. And, by the way, Dr. Seppola used to work with him a long time ago, and he told me when we were working together that he'd severed his ties with Drew once he started doing this rehab on television because it was exploiting these people. Um so for a long time, you know, it, it's, it's questionable what, what Dr. Drew is doing at best. I mean, it is unethical to the extreme. If you were a real substance abuse professional, you would never go on television. Never. Unless it, unless it, everything was all about money to you and your life, then you would do that. You're not, it's not about helping people. The fifth cast member of his show in two years died a couple days ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She shot herself in the head. Now, is Dr. Drew to blame for this? Of course not. However, <laughs> putting them in front of a camera is not doing their <laughs> emotional well-being any good. You cannot possibly work with someone and have someone be honest with you and really share what's going on with them with a camera in their face. And what he's doing is he is uh, – it, it, it makes me, like, so sick <laughs> because he's exploiting these people. And then when they fail, just like AA does, he's blaming them. And, I mean, these mm-hmm. are people that he's taken out of society who are already in the public eye all the time. So they have people following them, taking pictures of them, and and before they ended up on Celebrity Rehab because – He's, he's now starting to get people on the show that are, like, really in the public eye a lot. So everybody know you know, because they want to cast the show with people who are well-known. And they're actually, you know, they're actually doing that. It's a show. It's a show, and yet these people, at least five of them so far, truly needed help. They're not just doing it to revive their career. You know, they're really seriously in pain and actually a lot of the cast seems to be seriously in pain and he is um don't you take an oath when you become a doctor that says do no harm i mean mm-hmm. that, 
all he's doing, in my opinion, obviously, all he's doing is harm to those people. So it's like, you know, on some level you have to realize that what you're doing is, is very, very dangerous. And it's a, it's a microcosm of what the 12 steps can do to someone. It, it really is. It's a fascinating thing, but it just – and he's so, you know, contrite. And he gets on the, these shows because, you know, he's on TV every single day now. Did you know that on the Internet? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he, every single day. He is the most listened-to doctor in America. But he says so many things that are... Hello, are you there? I, I am. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Something funky happened. Yeah, don't don't worry. It's internet radio. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I hey, this ha- is, anybody listening to this would be interested in this, don't you think? Well, if you know, if 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 you would just give me the same money for Dr. Drew's studio on my show here, we could have better. Uh, hey, now don't go getting uh, you know addicted to fame. You'll end up just like him. Now, I just remember that one of these guys that was going through his show, he gave him like an MRI scan and said, you see there's early signs of alcoholic dementia in your brain from the scan. Oh, my God. If you know the research literature, first of all, um, alcoholic the existence of alcoholic dementia is in question. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. not proven to exist. Um, There's alcohol-related dementia, which is totally separate, which are things like Korsakoff syndrome, but that's caused by thiamine deficiency, not by alcohol. And that doesn't hit gradually. That hits all at once. Right, right, right. So there's no early signs of Korsakoff's. And as far as alcoholic dementia, I mean, the the experts are arguing whether it exists or not. There's no case that's uh, clear-cut. And how can he look at a brain scan and say, oh, th- you're showing early signs of alcoholic <laughs> dementia in your brain scan? Has he well, I know, I know how. He has dementia. He just makes shit up when he goes along. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think he just listens to the myths from the rehab programs. He doesn't read any of the research. Oh, of because... course not. That would require actually focusing on something other than his arms. Have you ever seen his arms? He's got. He's, he's like... The guy is like pumping some serious iron, man. <laughs> He's spending a lot of time looking at himself in the mirror. He can't read all that. So I'm sitting here reading all that and saying, <laughs> my God, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> well, he found a way to work in the system, you know, to be a reality TV star and to look like he's this pioneer of addiction treatment. That's, you know. All right, so you're Kim Kardashian with really big arms. Got it. So, yeah, as you can tell, I'm not a big Dr. Death Drew fan. <laughs> anyway, I um, I don't remember how we got to that. I'm really sorry. But it oh, was here's like, something yeah, I wanted to say when you were bringing this up. <laughs> it's yes. the, the really horrible message that he is sending to the American public is that it – that he is responsible, rehab is responsible for everyone that stops and that without rehab, everyone will die of their addiction, which is totally false. Yes, it is. And there's no evidence that, there's basically no evidence that addiction treatment is any more effective than doing nothing at all. Because Absolutely. We, we know well, the natural result of addiction is people right. overcome it on their own. Right. Right. So why so why do these perfectly lovely balanced um you know fairly successful people in life why would they continue to go you know to the meetings and to get so angry when anyone you know has a criticism at all about the meetings and just sort of live you know live sort of substandard lives why? I mean, why? Well, if you uh, do some study of cults and how they function... Yeah, uh, I, ha- oh, I have been. Cults like to get people when they are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. 
What does AA say? You have to hit bottom. Yeah. They want you when you're very vulnerable. Yeah. And when they are very vulnerable, they will say to you, you are going to die unless you yeah. say you are powerless. You must take the first step and say you are. So, you know, most people didn't have the advantage of my upbringing in a cult to recognize this immediately as a load of crap. Right, right, and, right. And they're scared, and they pro- they yeah. maybe went to a hospital. Maybe yeah. they're in a hospital surrounded by doctors. They believe that this right. is legitimate because they're in a scientific and they you mean, but this sounds so weird. Oh, but we know from our many, you know, decades of experience, you have to say you are powerless or you will die from your addiction. And they say, okay, I'm powerless. Now what? Now right. I'm really screwed. Oh, you have right. to accept your higher power. But I don't believe in God. Oh, right. make our organization your God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. That sounds like a sensible thing to do. Well, if you're desperate enough, you know, and if you already believe that you're powerless, you know, a lot of people are going to do this. And right. they are well, going that's, to. Isn't that why they have to keep recruit, recruiting people from the court system? You know, the convicted felons and people's, your corporation can actually be recruited by AA and, you know, say you worked for some big corporation like Sony and you were, you know, coming in and the the boss thought that you had an alcohol problem. They would say you either go to AA or you lose your job. There's a lot that's, of coercion. <laughs> that's how I lost my job. <laughs> that's how I was homeless for two years. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not funny. And I, I've heard yeah, so many funny. stories. It's not. But I've heard so many stories like this, you know. And this one woman, I don't know if you've heard about her, but she, I, I've seen her write a couple times on the Internet. She was a Jehovah's Witness and the same sort of experience she had. So when she was a kid, she, they were a Jehovah's Witness. And when she went into AA, she was like, oh, no, I know what this is. <laughs> right? The same sort of experience that people mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're like running for the hills. And uh, it, that's, that's why, you know, I, I'm, I'm very interested in your book. It's, it's really easy to read, by the way. Thank you for doing that. Because for us old people... The font's really big, and <laughs> and it's like a workbook. It's nice. It's a it's it's an interesting book. I've been I haven't read it like from beginning to end, but I've been going through and um, you know as as I can during the day. And uh, I like the case histories. Those are really cool. It's well, real. It's yeah. It's it's a really good book. Like reading Anne Fletcher's book, it was like it seemed to me like in order to be fair. Um, she stayed away from just directly insulting in in any way the uh, the twelve step groups. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel that that there was oh, there always seemed to be a button where it was so objective that if she said anything negative in the book about the twelve step program, she would quickly recover with something positive. Well, you know, I didn't expect her to attack AA itself. I think she does a really good job of making it clear that 12-step rehabs and AA are not connected, which in reality they're not. I mean, 12-step rehabs were created by AA members who saw a way to make buck off of AA. Right, absolutely, yes. So, and they're not wrong. And that going going to meetings, that doing that, Outside of rehab, is that is that what she means? Like doing that outside of rehab is somehow um, better for people or not as harmful for people? Well, it's not as harmful for your pocketbook. Well, no doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. No I doubt. Mean, in outside, in the outside world, this is the United States. You have freedom of religion. You can be an AA member. You can be a Mooney. You can be a Hare Krishna, right. an atheist. You can be right. a Catholic, a Jew, whatever you want to be. It's your choice. And mm-hmm. I think she really recognizes that. And, you know, there's no particular reason to attack the fellowship of AA in her book mm-hmm. because that's not what it's about. It's about right. rehab. And it's right. about um, what's good and what's bad there. And uh, an awful lot is bad. There's mm-hmm. a certain amount that's good. Uh, there are the alternative programs like Tom Horvath that she talks about quite a bit, that's, yeah. which I like a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I, I think there's, you know, you're you're absolutely in any group, unless it's unless it's supervised by a professional, in any group like that, you're making yourself vulnerable. But you're absolutely safer in a smart meeting. 
mm-hmm. psychologically and physically, by the way. Um, um, I wrote an article about Carla Brada. Do you know that story? No. Okay. I might have heard that, but uh, tell it again. Well, she um, she was in AA for just about four months, and the boyfriend that she met murdered her. Okay, um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, from, did you hear? Yeah. And from Monica? Uh, yes, you know, yes, yes. You Monica know Monica? Yeah, yeah, she talks about it a lot. And um, it's very difficult. I got over four and a half hours of time with her parents. And it was a very difficult article to write because, um, you know, there is, there, is, there is just no worse thing that could happen to a parent. There's just no worse thing, you know. And she thought she was helping her daughter, and she had no idea. And it just all happened so fast. And they are, I mean, just, you know, in in hell. They're just in hell. And so it's it's a really incredible story. And this guy had been in Alcoholics Anonymous for over 17 years. And the courts kept mandating. I mean, his rap sheet, Ken, his rap sheet, she showed it, she showed it to me. I... I was speechless. I was. I could not believe it. And because what happens is, you know, pe- these people get mandated to. Um, hey, wait a second. Just let me let me tell you this one thing. I can't divulge too much of it, but he was kicked out of his parents' house because he beat up his own father. And I mean, this guy. There's like 52 criminal cases. His his um, he's you know in in arrears for child support from his. You know, and he has a child that he never sees. It's this whole long story about this guy. And instead of keeping him off the streets, which is which is what they should have done a long time ago, he was pushed into AA over and over and over again. And they have proof that, you know, the family is suing Alcoholics Anonymous, um, AA World Services, and the GSO, and the sponsor, because the sponsor, a couple weeks before she died, he beat her to death, a couple uh, weeks before she died, he beat the crap out of her enough for neighbors to call the police. And his sponsor talked her out of pressing charges. And then a few weeks later, she was dead. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're here in L.A. in a little uh, an area called Santa Clarita, and I got to go to their house. They invited me there, and it was really um, quite something. And the article got responses again, you know, of how dare you, how you're killing people by saying these things. It's not AA's fault. It's Carla's fault. She made her own choices. She was a grown adult. She was 31 years old. Um, you know, all that stuff that they say, you know, that you're, you're killing people um, by, um, you know, why would you do why would you say anything wrong about a group that's been so helpful to so many people since 1935 and you know all that stuff that they say and it's been like oh boy here we go again <laughs> oh boy oh gosh um it's just like wave after wave after wave you know and um on the internet it's don't you think it's interesting when people write on the internet they somehow feel safer being really mean i guess it's the anonymity that they think they have right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's been interesting (laughs) um it's you know i i just i think that the experience that people go through you know when they discover like this is not really good for everybody um needs to be shared because it just has such a hold on the culture, you know, and the, the whole disease concept and all that, that the way that it's been sold by Marty Mann and, you know, that whole Jelinek curve, you mm-hmm. know, all that. Yeah. And so, it, you know, that it was sold. And, and there's all kinds of reasons why it came about basically so that insurance companies would pay for 30 days of treatment. So they got, you know, the, the treatment centers got that on. And then, of course, it's all AA indoctrination, you know. Um, and it just, I think because it's like the hold that it has, you know, going back to the the the, the cult, you know, it, it being a cult, um, that, it, that it can be a place where people can sort of leave, you know, if you're told all the time that your best thinking got you to hit a bottom as an alcoholic, your best thinking got you there, really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no. 
You're worse than King Kong you there. <laughs> Come on. Um, you know, and, and it's amazing because, you know, to, to buy that, I mean, it's just like, it's almost like saying, well, okay, then I give up. You know, I, I, I will let my God be the group. I will, I will let the fellowship, you know, be my God, and I will come back. And that they just get, you know, lulled into that. And it's it's something that people need to know. And then the other thing, I don't know um, if you've worked with a lot of teenagers. It sounds like you have, have you? I haven't really worked with teenagers much no. at all. Most of the yeah. people that come to my group are middle-aged. Yeah, well, that's that's really good to hear because you know the middle-aged people are the biggest um, group of population ever because we're baby boomers. So don't mess with us, all right, kids. Um, I <laughs> um, that's that's great to know. But the teenagers, you know, teenagers who are going in to rehabs, um, they are learning new drug habits in there because if they're if they're put in with adults. Adults tell, you know, share stories about, you know, the things that they did that actually gives teenagers ideas, and then when they go out, they try it. Um, there's a lot of other reasons why they should not be in with adults uh, in, you know, in, in inpatient rehab, and yet they mm-hmm. are constantly. And, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, what's what's the 13th step, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, the fact that there's a 13th step, for anybody listening that, that doesn't know, the 13th step is sexually harassing someone. And as you know, Ken, there's a lot of that going on. And um, I was just reading about, have you heard about the Midtown Group? Wasn't it over there um, somewhere? Yeah, that's actually yeah. in Washington, D.C., Midtown, oh, Washington, D.C., oh, okay. not Midtown, okay. Manhattan. But... I, ap- I apologize to Midtown. I do. All the theaters are there. Um, but no, but anyway, the story. I mean, did you have you read about it? <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that one. I'm going to bring you up another one. I'll let you tell this one first because I don't remember all the details. <laughs> okay. The, oh, oh, the Midtown one. So there's this guy, Mike Q, Quinones, actually. He wasn't very anonymous. Um, and they had like a ranch outside of the Washington, D.C. area where the group was, where these old-timers would take 17, 18, 19-year-old women up there, and for their fifth step, they would have sex with them. Oh, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a happy little one. And so they're telling them, and, I mean, this is documented, they're telling them that this is a way for you to purify your soul to... Yeah. And you're gonna you're going to die of your addiction if you don't do the fifth step the way I tell you to. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> it's you know, <laughs> it's just wild. It really is as wild. I'm so happy that you're doing this work with harm reduction. It's funny because until last April, I didn't know about any of this. I was just like, yeah, you know, we should, I mean, you know, I was getting, I was having a lot of problems with clients, you know, it was like, okay, wait a second, this is not going well, you know, people are not doing well on this program, people are, and you know, it's, it's not the program, because they're, 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 you know, really not stupid people, and it's because, you know, they're like physically rejecting the you know religion and the dogma of the program. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. just it's 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 really it's truly fascinating. So you know, um, harm reduction is very very important. And I and I you know I got introduced to Stanton because of the article. You know, and we've emailed a lot. And then Ann Fletcher and there's you know a number of other people that I'm in touch with that um, I wasn't before. And they're you know they're so helpful. Like I said. Stanton's been doing this for what forty years. <laughs> yeah, nineteen seventy-four, yeah. I think, was yeah. Love and Addiction was published. So. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's you know, that's very. It's remarkable. It really is. He actually 
um, tried to get an, a blog that I had written. You know, after the HuffPost article, mm-hmm. um, every article that, that was published, every article that I've written about AA after that that I've submitted to them, they have rejected. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, I, I, I'm still writing on my blog, of course. And Stanton, tri- <laughs> Stanton tried to... Um, take an article that I had written, uh, a, a shorter version, uh, off of my blog and put it, you know, as if, you know, this is a very interesting thing to read and this is, you know, this is why this whole thing was a really good article. And he was so generous and he sent it uh, the morning that he submitted it about, you know, like, you know, you, you should read this blog and this is why kind of thing. And he said, you know, I, I just wanted you to know that I did this. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome because I had had such trouble, you know, getting them to publish something else negative um and i am pointing out negative things yeah i'm Mm -hmm. sorry i am i'm pointing out negative things i'm so sorry but that's what i'm going to do because someone has to and they actually rejected the the piece and it was you know it was disappointing because um it's you know and but he he helped me so much you know he helped me so much because he said oh don't worry about it you know it happens all the time um and um, it was a very interesting experience to have because I realized, you know, um, they, they, they've been censored over there. You know, it wasn't just that, like, they didn't like my writing or, <laughs> or you know, because his article that he wrote um, was just as, as, you know, biting to the program as, as, um, as mine was that was about what I, the blog that I had written. Anyway, I'm being way too um, confusing. Sorry, I'm confusing people here, but... What's interesting is that the the way that you have to do this, you know, you have to figure out how to do it right. So Stanton, you know, he's not going to, like, fight back against them or whatever, you know, and he was very nonchalant about it. And so I realized it's like one, you know, really is <laughs> like one article at a time, um, not one day at a time, but one article at a time, and you just have to keep sort of plugging away, you know, because it's, it's not easy. You know, I, I've been communicating with him, like I said, and one day – you know, I just felt like I'm just like wasting my time. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm just no, like going. No, no, no. You know, you know, I, I I mean, I know I'm not, but you know, I was just having this this one of the things that I've learned after after um, getting away from the twelve steps in any way for myself is to have my feelings. You know, um, mm-hmm. because it's not exactly encouraged in the program. Um, and in any in, in any twelve step program, it's not really not really encouraged to actually be a human being. Um, and so I, you know, I reached out to him, and he was really really nice about it. But it's just interesting that um, the process, you know, there's there's a deep programming that you kind of have to go through, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, if people, I'm going to mention that. Uh, if people ever want to look up the the Adventures of Mildew Man online, <laughs> it's a comic that I wrote when I oh, was I deep programming. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's probably hilarious. Uh, yes, it's Triple A Comics, the the Adventures <laughs> okay. of Mildew Man, well, uh, which <laughs> you can still find. I'm gonna one of these days. Oh. I'm gonna get the ads off. Of it. Um, but you can still find that out there. Um, oh, it's better. I can't wait. Mildew Man. <laughs> um. What was I going to say? I wanted to say something. I'm sorry. Two things. Two things I wanted to say. First, um, well, you have to just keep hitting every outlet possible. I mean, you want to get Huffington Post. I want to get Huffington Post, but they won't take anything from me. So, um, but you know, you keep hitting every outlet from the little ones, which mine is kind yeah. of little. Mine's actually getting bigger. It used to be really little. Now it's a, now it's merely tiny. It used to be minuscule. <laughs> Well, the numbers, I mean, some of the numbers on these things is just like, you know, like Nate Silver. Okay, now he deserves it. But some of the numbers on these things, like the Kardashian side or whatever, like, oh, come on. You know, so, I mean, the bar's not really that high as far as the numbers go. But, no, I hear you. And is, isn't that your, the 13th step? Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Yep. Stop 13th step in AA? That's Monica's yes, show. Yes, that, that's Monica's, right? Yeah, Monica has a show. She now calls it Safe Recovery. It's on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, um, I've heard it. I, I have heard hers. Yeah, anybody who's out there that uh, wants to – I listen to her show every week, so I recommend it. I've been a guest on her show. So, yeah. 
It has to be cool. good, right? <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, no, the, the shows that I have listened to have been really good. Um, and the other thing I want to say is back to the whole rehab thing. You know, I have a really skeptical view of the whole idea of rehab. Mm-hmm. A period, not just the 12-step rehab. If you look at the Bransma study, Jeffrey Bransma studied published yeah, oh, yeah, study yeah. in 1980. And if you, okay, at the at the follow-up on graduation from treatment, yeah, these cognitive behavioral therapy graduates did really well. And, you know, the 12-step people had all these dropouts, so they looked really bad. But you get mm-hmm. to the one-year follow-up, and what's happened Mm-hmm. This is this is like the only study that had the control group. Right. And you compare the control group at one year with mm-hmm. the treated groups, and there's only one variable on which the treated groups are better. Almost right. all the progress, well, it's not that they lost progress, but the group that got no treatment, they kept getting better and better without the treatment. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they kept improving, you know, because this is the normal outcome of substance abuse is people get better without right. treatment. Right. So they caught up to the treated people and you know but to me the whole idea of saying I have this disease and I need something outside me. I need somebody outside me to mm-hmm. fix me. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to make the effort, you know, I'll get this magic pill, I'll go to the magic right. program, I'll get the right. magic fix. That's you're not you're not going to get anywhere that way. No. When you decide I want to change my bad habits. I want to change these habits that I don't like anymore. I used to like these habits. They were good then. They're not good now, causing too many problems. I want to change them. Right. I created them, and I can change them. You take that attitude, you can change them. Mm-hmm. And if you have a a program, I mean, I like St. Jude Retreat because they say we're cognitive mm-hmm. we're cognitive behavioral education because yeah. you don't you don't have a disease. Right. Uh, you need to be taught how to not drink or how to not drink abusively or not uh, not be a drug addict. Right. It's something you learn to do. It's something you need to learn not to do. It's not a disease. And you're no. you know, you're in no. charge. Of course you are. And but but the problem is is that you know, if you if you medicalize a behavior like that, you know, that there it's a, it's a, it's a it's not a it's a normal behavior. It's not a deviant behavior. It's a normal behavior. It's it's people do stuff like this. Right, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know they just do. I mean, and then you know you you're, you're diagnosing them as having a mental illness. Okay, you is is what you're doing, um, and it's so funny because the DSM four is it's it's actually more difficult to be diagnosed with alcohol abuse than it is alcohol dependency, um, and it's 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 just it's so off it's it would take a really really long time to talk about why the dsm4 is a horrible diagnostic manual um but the worst thing i think just for people who go in and they don't realize you know that the that the promises aren't coming through um true for them because they've been labeled in a negative way so like if you're labeled powerless you're going to conform to the standard of that 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 indicates whether the diagnosis is correct or not so you know, because you're going to buy it. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to call yourself that every day, whatever it is. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. And I love it when AA people say, "Well, it says I'm powerless over alcohol." No, it most certainly does not say that. It does not say that. No, you're, you're powerless over everything in your entire life. You're, you're a powerless person, is what the program says. So, you know, I mean, it is, um, it is, it is truly strange. It is it is like the ultimate scam, but I really do I really do appreciate <laughs> I really do appreciate you um, asking me to come on the show. It's been really fun. I think I told you I have a uh, yoga class that I go to on Thursday nights. Uh, okay, well, I'm gonna finish. <laughs> I'm gonna finish with one thing because you mentioned yeah, yeah. DSM four. I have a DSM one. And the DSM-1 says that one should not confuse habitual drunkenness with alcoholism. It does not. Yes, it does. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can download the PDF of the DSM-1 online. I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to <laughs> Now I think it's time for us to say goodbye. <laughs> Hey, by the way, I really like the whole um, intro thing where you're helping people get products and stuff like that. That's really cool. 
So I hope I hope actually people listen to that, even though it's probably a drag for him to have to go through all of that. Um, but probably some of the products, because I know the book is really good, and probably some of the products are really good too. Well, the website's free, so you don't have to buy that one. <laughs> well, I know. Well, you sent this book to me. The book I, I shouldn't have said that. Now people are going to be, well, you sent her one. Can you send me one? <laughs> if you're a, if you are a therapist and will recommend my book to your clients, I will send you a copy for free. Because yes, if I course. give you one for free, I'll sell twenty or a hundred right. <laughs> if you recommend it to your clients. Right. So, you right. Know. It's if good marketing. And by the way, the AA people who are like, see, see, that proves they're, they're doing this for the money. That's why they're saying negative things about our programs, because they're doing it for the money. You know what? <laughs> Just shut up. You know what I get paid <laughs> as executive director of HAMS? I'm very happy to tell you I started getting my first paycheck last June, and my paycheck is $300 per month. Oh, my God. So. And before you, that, I, I was supporting the organization out of my pocket, so I, I still gave them about eight thousand dollars just to keep the thing running. Of course, <laughs> and and in and in my condition, if people really knew my financial condition as a human being, um, they would they would not say that. It's the opposite of what you're talking about. So there's family money. I don't need to do this for any other reason than tell the truth. That's it. So I, I really appreciate the, the talk, and I, you know, I hope it comes through to people, um, even though I ramble sometimes, that the, um, the concern that I have, especially for young people going into this world, is very strong, and I, that's why I'm doing it, and that's the only reason why I'm doing it. And so I really appreciate you allowing me to have a voice today, Ken. Well, I'm happy that you were on the show. Thank you. And um, what does somebody have to do to get their show on transcript? Um, I have to decide that I'm really <laughs> ambitious and want to send it to Transcript Diva and uh, pay them a hundred dollars to transcribe. I and see. then I have to I then I have to spend like a, uh, 24 hours correcting all their mistakes because right. they, I, they, I know. I, they, I, they can I, never believe that we said any of the things we actually said. So they have us saying all these things that are supporting the 12 steps because, you know, their brain can't process that we really said bad. <laughs> seriously? Do they seriously edit stuff? <laughs> uh, no, it's not intentional, but I say, um, you know, these 12 step programs don't work. And they right. hear these 12 step programs work. Yeah, you know. I know. That's what I thought you said. Isn't, <laughs> isn't there something illegal about that? <laughs> Don't do that, you guys. Wow. Well, it's not that they're trying to do it, but that's just what, you know, if you've ever transcribed, uh, you know, the way your brain works to put sentences together, puts them together according to the logic you know of the worldview. Right. Um Right. Uh, and the, my, first, the, my first degree, my first master's degree is in linguistics, so I know all this shit. Wow. And your brain processes in a context that makes sense. So you hear sentences that make sense. You can put nonsense words in sentences and, you know, play them to people on a tape, and they won't, their, their brain will edit the garbage out, and they will hear normal sense because it's top-down processing is the cognitive scientist term. <laughs> Well, you're a brilliant guy, aren't you? <laughs> well, I didn't get I didn't make any money studying linguistics either. <laughs> well, maybe that's because you're not in it for the money. Well, I don't know who is. Even Chomsky's, uh, you know, scra scraping to get by these days. <laughs> well, every artist, I mean, you know, every so-called, you know, really, I mean, people used to think that the earth was flat. Uh-huh. And they used to think that um this was the best country in the world. Uh-huh. Well, people used to think that AA could really help people, and now they're, you know, beginning to know the truth. And it's important. It just is. It's important. And by the way, kids, I am not, like, saying to someone, don't go to AA. If a client finds it helpful, they go. That's all. That's, I, <laughs> it's your choice. It's a free country. If of you course want to go is. to AA, go to AA. If you want to go to church, a lot go of people... Church. Quit drinking by going to church. It's, right. It, it was very common before AA was invented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can also. But the, 
But the people at the church are not saying that this is, you then have to come here if you have a substance problem because this is the one and only way. And if you don't come here and you do come here and you leave, you will end up in three places and only three places. Jail, well, an institution, or dead. Well, it depends on your church, of course. They will say if you leave, <laughs> you are going to hell and burn forever. So. <laughs> But it depends on which church you choose, of course. Well, of course. I, I kind of like the Hare Krishnas because they just like to dance <laughs> and have fun and, you know, well, shake booty so, a little bit. They're so stoned all the time, you know. <laughs> they're just – and they got those little maracas and those little – what are those little things that you have between your fingers that clang, clang, clang? Uh, they're finger bells, I think is what Finger they're, whatever they're called. You finger know, I don't know what the heck they're called. I forgot what they're called. But, yeah, you know, and they got robes on. They're just dancing around. They're really stoned. They're They're great. <laughs> but you know, some people like to sleep on beds. Well, that's true. But actually, most of the Hare Krishnas uh, nowadays. Well, well my, my friend is one, so most of them are are in the. Uh, they've left the ashram. They're living in apartments now, and they just go to the temple to dance. So you know, they're actually oh, sleeping so in beds cool. again these days. That's so cool. <laughs> do they well, do they have their um, their head shaved? Oh no 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 no. Okay. <laughs> you would never know. You would never notice them on the street. You know, see? <laughs> I was just kidding. Anyway, um, I'm gonna go stretch my weary old bones at the yoga class because I'm in La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think thank you everyone All right. and good night. Bye. Ken. Yes.